Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. It's Wednesday, December 9th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And Norlander, we'll just get right to it. I have a question for you, and the question is this. Do Kentucky and Duke both stink? I, I ask because it looks like Kentucky and Duke might both stink, at least relative to normal Kentucky and Duke standard. We just watched... Uh, Kentucky get handled no problem by Georgia Tech over the weekend. And then on Tuesday night, Illinois went into Cameron Indoor, mostly empty Cameron Indoor, but still, and ran the Blue Devils right off the floor. Yeah, Kentucky and Duke both stink right now. They stink big time. And in the moment here and now, I'm kicking myself for not being, not having more conviction for my belief in the preseason that Duke wasn't going to be that good compared to normal standards. Like, I, I I strongly debated not even putting Duke inside the top 20 of my rankings. I uh, I ultimately balked on that, but, uh, yeah, right now, combined three and five. Shouts to Patrick Stevens, uh, a longtime college hoops journalist. He was the first one to answer my curiosity with this on Twitter uh, late, late Tuesday night. It's the first time since 1966-67 that Duke and Kentucky both have started their seasons in the same year, in the same season, by losing at least two of their first four games. Duke started one and three, uh, wound up finishing 18 and nine that season, uh, and Kentucky started two and two and finished 13 and 13. Weirdly enough, both those teams were coming off making the final four the previous season, and then they got slow out of the gate. But since 66, 67 GP, it's been more than 50 years. Just un, uh, unreal there. And yeah, with, with Duke... I mean, it's not just that. Um, I mean, the fact the fact that they haven't started two and two since the ninety nine two thousand season. That team wound up being really, really good. Um, you know, they've lost to two good teams. So let's not completely overreact. They've lost to Michigan State and they've lost to Illinois, but they've also lost those games at home. Um, and that's also setting up an unusual deal. I mean, the fact that they they almost never. They, so they almost never lose two games at home, period, in a season to non-conference opponents. It's the first time since the 82-83 season that's happened, Parrish. It's the first time since the season before that. I'm loaded with the Nuggets here. It's the first time since the season before that that Duke's even lost two games, period, at home this early on the calendar. Then you take into effect uh, that the season started later than it, than it normally does. This team's got a lot, a lot of issues. Last thing I did promise people I'd give them a shout-out. Here's how rare this whole thing is in general, though, with the schedule. Duke almost never plays two good opponents on its home floor this early in the season with non-conference opponents, Parrish. This just doesn't happen. I asked uh, the proletariat if they could give me the last time Duke played basically two power conference-level teams within their first four, or I wanted to give a little bit of leeway, five games of the season. Like, this almost never happens at K 
Cameron. And uh, a few people did give this to me. I'll give a shout to MD Spartan. Said Marquette and Boston College in the 90-91 season was probably the answer. There was an 07 season where they played Michigan and Wisconsin, but one of those games was in Greensboro. It wasn't at Cameron Indoor, so it's not the same there. So it's been essentially 30 years, if you want to count Marquette, Boston College. Uh, and if not that, then you know maybe St. Joe's Vanderbilt in 96 uh, but other than that, someone else had mentioned that you'd have to go back to the 70s. You'd have to go back to the 70s to be the, to find the last time that Duke really was able to put up two strong non-conference opponents uh, like this. So I think it's a confluence event. It's all that stuff. And then if you watch them, I mean, there, there's just plenty of plenty of stuff to figure out. Illinois is also very, very good, but we can get to that. First, I'm not going back to the 70s. I've had enough of it. I'm going to stay right where I'm at. We got a vaccine on the way. I'm going to see this. I'm going to see this. Well, Matt Cristallo says if the great Midwest has an asterisk for uh, Marquette in 1990, then 75-76, Tennessee and Virginia, both at Cameron, uh, that was not two losses, was the last time that Duke this early in the season played two power conference teams at home. That's just amazing to me. But we don't have to go back to the 70s. We can move on. Okay, so there's um there's some obvious explanations to this. Like uh, first and foremost, Duke wasn't supposed to play two teams like this at home. The Champions Classic got moved to Cameron Indoor, pandemic related. So that's the explanation for uh, Duke almost never does this. Well, Duke has never played in the middle of a pandemic. So here we are. Um, you're right. They have lost to two good teams. You're also right. They have looked bad while doing it. I did keep them in the top twenty-five and one because I look at you. <laughs> Well, okay, how about this? Still got strong computer numbers. Um, are there really are you sure there's twenty six teams better? We know Michigan State's better and we know Illinois is better. But I got both those schools in the top ten. Who's the one have, who do you have right who do you have who do you have one spot behind Duke in your top twenty five and one right now? It is North Carolina. Uh I would say North Carolina is better than Duke right now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, guess what? I don't care what you would say. Okay. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> okay, here we go. Classic Duke hater in Orlando. Classic Duke apologist Paris. That's fine. Keep going. I, uh, every once in a while, I get a tweet from somebody, and they'll be like, come on, Parrish. I, I don't know why you did this and this. I could rank teams better than you. And I'm like, well, then you should get a network to pay you to do it. Otherwise, it seems like a wasted talent. You know, congrats, but uh, it seems like a wasted talent. Now, I, I acknowledge Duke has looked bad, and I can uh, leave open the possibility that Duke will ultimately prove itself to not be a top 25 or top 26 team. But if I were trying to argue in favor of them, I would say, what about losing to Michigan State and Illinois suggests that you're not actually one of the best 26 teams in the country? As always, we'll see. But uh, yes, I will give Duke the benefit of the doubt. You want, you want to know why? Because they're almost always good. They are never bad. And so this might be the exception to that rule, but it would be an exception to the rule. So circling back to the initial point, again, there's a lot of explanations for why the things that have happened have happened, or at least possible explanations. Again, they were never supposed to play two teams like this inside Cameron Indoor this early in the season. The Champions Classic got moved. Not having fans at Cameron Indoor is a is a factor. Mm. I mean, I, I mean, like it's you you know, I, I saw last night, like, oh man, Duke's lost two home games. Yeah, they have no home court advantage. They have gone from a program that has arguably the best home court advantage in college basketball to a program that has no home court advantage. Like, And you've talked to coaches about this over the years. What coaches will generally tell you about playing Duke at Duke inside Cameron is you better be 
points better than them if you're going to beat them. Like you, 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 you have to, and I know this might not make sense from a math perspective, but I think the point is, is easy to understand. You're not just going to go in there and, 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 and beat, you have to, you have to beat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you got to be significantly better than them because you're dealing with camera crazies. You're dealing with officials that are influenced mm-hmm. by Coach K, influenced by the, you know, by Cameron. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a real human emotion that, you know, undeniably officials are influenced by crowds. And there is no crowd like the crowd at Cameron Indoor. You've been there. I mean, the, the, the student section is on top of you. And it feels like you're. I, I've never played the game there, obviously, but I. I you sure? I, okay, I did once. Okay. I did once. On. It, was, it was with the Plumleys, <laughs> and so uh, it, it wasn't with the Plumleys. I've never played a game there, but I've covered many games there, and I I know what it feels like with the student section right on, like literally on my back. You get blue paint on your suit or sport coat and we're right on top of the court i mean we are sitting court side and so the students are right on top of us it's just unlike any other place in college basketball so you don't have that that that's a factor and then i think another factor and and i believe this is an explanation on some level for what's happening at kentucky right now too the duke like kentucky per usual is heavily reliant on first year players and you've missed out on exhibitions. You've missed out on practices. You've missed out on the normal buy games, amount of buy games that you would get where you can, you know, like they open with Coppin State. Under normal circumstances, they got another Coppin State in by now and another Coppin State in by now. And instead, it's like, okay, play Coppin State. Here comes Michigan State. Play another buy. Here comes Illinois. It, I, I also heard that Kay, because of the pandemic, wasn't on the court with the team this offseason as much as he normally would. So you got a Hall of Fame coach limited in what he can do, heavily reliant on first-year players, no home court advantage, tougher than normal early schedule. And we talked about this before, didn't enroll a top-ten prospect, enrolled a top-five class, but did not actually enroll a consensus top-ten prospect. You look at the box scores right now. You watch the games right now. It looks like they don't have a consensus top 10 prospect uh, on, on the court. And then we talked about this in the preseason as well. For Duke to live up to the expectations I at least placed upon them, it was going to be reliant on their returning players having breakthrough seasons, uh, specifically Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore. Matthew Hurt has been good, but Wendell Moore has been terrible. He's averaging 4.8 points, 2.5 rebounds, shooting 23.3% from the field, 11.1% from three. He is one of 19 from the field. One of 19 in Duke's past three games. He was better last season than this season. He's already lost his starting spot. And even Kay, like, disgusted publicly after the loss to Illinois, said he just feels really badly for him. He's struggling right now. So take everything I've just said, throw it into a pot, mix it up. That's how you get a Duke team that's sitting here at two and two. Yeah. Um, Matthew has been fine. Uh, Jalen Johnson started terrific. He's been, he's been, oh, he's been solid, but yeah, Moore's not been great. DJ Stewart, uh, plenty of room to grow. Jeremy Roach, exactly the same. Joey Baker isn't as impactful as I thought he would. Uh, would be and then Jordan Goldwire who's now a senior um, he, you know he's a senior but he should be he should be growing into something I think a little better than he has already I mean you mentioned Coppin State Duke only won that game by 10 uh, got beat by 
uh, six against Michigan State, but that game was not a six-point game. Uh, you know, Michigan State won, uh, I would say, convincingly, and then Illinois was just dominant. There's no doubt about it. Illinois is really, really good. Uh, Illinois fans are probably annoyed that we started off talking about Duke instead <laughs> of their team and how good they are. Um, so I'll make two points here. Uh, one, um, one on Illinois just being fantastic. Uh, they, they, they look for real. They were providing all of the noise. I, if I'm Duke, I don't know why I'm not putting simulated crowd noise in that building. Again, it just, it just, it, you know, the look is fine, but yeah, it should have more, more pop. And without that, I, I do think there is an impact there. No, Cameron Indoor is, is different than almost every other, if not every other venue. And that, to me, right now is affecting uh, Duke's energy. Not to say it would have de- defeated Michigan State or Illinois if it had the fans in the stands. But I do think it uh, it, it certainly plays plays a role there. Illinois, congrats. I mean, you, Parrish wants to give me grief on Iowa and a few, and he can. But I had Illinois as... Uh, you know, the fourth best team in America heading into the season and have zero reason to back off of that. And the best team in the Big Ten, they are loaded with talent, loaded with size. Adam Miller as a freshman has come in right away and been tremendous. Uh, DeSuma and Coburn have only gotten better. Uh, Bajanishvili is, is providing amazing moments. Uh, Andre Curbelo, uh, he, he is also, I mean, I just look at him up and down. I'm like, this is the best team in the Big Ten. I don't think that there's a debate right now. So congrats to to Illinois on all of that. Very interested to just watch you pretty much every game. I, I think you are capable of winning games uh, 83-68 as you are 66-61 as you might be 85-82. So I, I think that there's just so much there. And right now they're a top 10 offense, number 29 in defense at Ken Palm. The next game is at Missouri this weekend. That is because of a coin flip that our man Andy Katz actually flipped to determine where the Bragg and Rights game would be because it's actually weirdly not on a neutral this year. It is in uh, a home road venue situation, so Missouri's going to host. We'll wait and see on that. I do want to mention one more thing about the, the uh, aftermath of this game, though. Because I do think that, given who he is and what he said, this will actually find its way into some discourse, if you will, later on today. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, GP. I actually woke up to see this. I did not see it in real time when when Kay uh, gave these quotes last night. But Mike Krzyzewski has now chimed in on the wobbly nature of college basketball trying to start its season uh, at the time it is right now as the the rates worsen. So when Mike Krzyzewski says it or John Calipari says it or Roy Williams says it, it's just different from when most other coaches say it. Jeff Capel actually also had something um, pretty poignant that he said earlier this week um, and essentially called college basketball players essential workers. Jay Billis reemphasized that on the broadcast last night. They both have accurate and true points. Here's what Kay said last night. He said, quote, I don't think it feels right to anybody. I mean, everyone is concerned, end quote. Later uh, said, quote, I know the NCAA is worried about the end game. They're not worried about the game we're playing right now end quote. And then here's another quote. He says, quote, I know somebody will take what I'm saying tonight and and make it like I'm making excuses. I don't make excuses. We need to get a lot better. But for the good of the game and the good of the safety and mental and physical health of our players and staff and whatever, we need to constantly look at this thing. And I think, I think that's a smart thing to do. And he did, he added, he thought that things should be done differently mentioned about the players not being able to go home for Christmas. Uh, We're just plowing through it. This is his quote. This echoes sentiments that I heard about Krzyzewski in the offseason. I was told by multiple uh, sources that Krzyzewski was downright adamant that his players be able to leave and go home for Christmas. As we mentioned on the previous podcast, CDC guidance is straight up for people not to do that this year. So, um, whereas you know, in the middle of September, that discussion might have centered around other things. Now it's straight up centered around 
we don't think people should be traveling because there is a macro effect on that. And so a, a lot of colleges are, are just not going to do that. But the greater point Krzyzewski was making was we probably started the season too early. We need to constantly evaluate where we are. And if we need to pause the season for whatever reason, that really should be taken into account. And the NCAA should be looking into this. My final note on this parish is, of course, the NCAA itself cannot vote on this. Okay, it has already voted when to start the season. Now is going to be a question of... Um, if there can be some sort of handshake agreement or if simply conferences are going to be forced to pause, if the ACC is going to be forced to go to, say, Greensboro and play in a pod in January or February. So Krzyzewski is hitting on notes that I think are legitimate, deserve discussion, deserve real introspection, but I don't believe that the college basketball season, now that it has started, is going to suddenly go on a sport-wide pause for two, three, four weeks. I don't expect that to happen, although I do leave the possibility a very good one that we will see conferences choose to do this for a seven, ten-day hiatus period if the situation worsens enough within teams in their league. I did see Kay's comments. I, like you, woke up to them this morning. Um, I, I, when I read them, I, it was pretty predictable uh, that he would get some backlash. It's like, oh, here comes Coach K speaking, you know, talking about let's, what are we doing after he loses another game and is now 2-2. Two and two. Even Kay acknowledged, I know some people will say I'm making excuses. So he knew what was coming as well. That doesn't make him wrong. Like, I, I don't think he's wrong. Um, and, and you're exactly right. Like, this is things that we were being told he was saying in ACC Zoom calls all offseason. Like, what are we – he was. When, when I said or reported or whatever that the, the prevailing thought among ACC coaches was that they would prefer to play conference-only schedules, K was the leader in that. He didn't want to play these games. And so now he's playing them and he's losing them. And here we are, but he's 73 years old. There's a virus that has killed nearly 300,000 Americans, you know, in this calendar year, he is susceptible to that. If he happens to get it, um, he'd be a fool to not have all of this in the back of his head. And he's obviously not a fool. Um, I don't think there's anything outlandish about him questioning what we're doing right now when what we're doing right now is literally in defiance of the CDC. The CDC says don't travel and we're putting basketball teams on planes and having them travel and then shutting down games literally every single day. 28% of the games that were scheduled for this past Saturday and Sunday were canceled. Uh, late on Tuesday night, we find out that Virginia, Michigan State, that is scheduled for Wednesday night, is canceled. Um, I understand why we're doing it. It is, it's for money. You, you know, these are revenue-generating sports. Uh, it's a revenue-generating sport, and, and, and athletic departments need the revenue. Um, the NCAA needs to hold an NCAA tournament for money. And so the, 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 I don't want to say the one thing I think Kaya was spot on about because I think he was right about just about everything he said. But among the things he was spot on about is – the NCAA um, is, you know, cares deeply, I'm paraphrasing here, about how we finish this thing. He said, I don't think they care much about how, about what we're doing right now. And show me the evidence that suggests that that's untrue. The NCAA just wants to cross the finish line. And I understand why they want to cross the finish line, but I have been consistent on this for months. I don't think that their approach to getting to the finish line, the sports approach to getting to the finish line, was well thought out um, given that it is literally in defiance of the CDC. And I, I know there's people listening right now who would say, well, the NCAA is not making these teams play. And that is true. 
The NCAA says you can play. You don't have to. The Ivy League said we're not doing it. So ultimately, this is up to the ACC and the Big 12 and every other league that's playing. How do you guys want to handle going moving forward? But, you know, the, the numbers are the numbers. Uh, the deaths are the deaths. The hospitalizations are the hospitalizations. And we as a country aren't trending in the right direction. And flying student athletes all over the country to compete in a contact sport um, it, 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 it is totally reasonable to question whether that's a, a, a reasonable thing to do. All right. There's still plenty to get to from, from Tuesday night here. So uh, North Carolina went into Iowa and that was a game that I was plenty intrigued about. And, and we found out a few things from Iowa. I think GP wants to give me some grief. So we're going to get to that next, but first check this out. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, Parrish, say what you got to say. I appreciate the opportunity. So Iowa beat North Carolina by double digits Tuesday night, improves to 4-0, and the Hawkeyes didn't even need a monster game from Luka Garza to do it. He got 16 points, 14 rebounds, but he like missed 14 of the 20 shots he took. Didn't matter, though, because Iowa finished 17 of 40 from three. That's 42.5%. If you take 40 shots from behind the arc, make 42.5% of them, you're going to be tough to beat in college basketball. UNC learned that on Tuesday night. Norlander, I had Iowa preseason top five. So did AP voters. You did not. Do you have a prepared apology that you're ready to read to my Hawkeye fans? I mean, Ken Palm didn't have Iowa top 10. You going to go after him too? Yeah, he is next on my list. Oh, he's next on the list. Okay. (laughs) Now, again, just to quickly reiterate, no, I, I mean, I had Illinois ahead of Iowa. I had Iowa top 10, and uh, there's no way I'm... You should apologize to Illinois fans is what you should be doing right now. I you, had Illinois top five or six or something. I had. I think, I, think was, I had... Yeah, no, I had Iowa... Wherever I had Iowa preseason, I had Illinois one spot behind them. Razor thin, razor thin margins. Razor thin. I, I'm, I'm essentially there with you, but this was inspiring what happened. Listen, I did have... Listen, I had Wisconsin ahead of... Iowa still could prove to be true, but right now, this was a, a very inspiring win for the Hawkeyes. How about this? Won, Iowa has won seven straight home tilts against ranked teams. They've never done that before in the history of their program until what they were able to achieve on Tuesday night. Congrats. Uh, congrats to Iowa. And then according to ESPN Stats and Info, um, it was Iowa's first win 
over an, uh, a ranked opponent when it was a top five team since 1983. A lot of 83 action going on on this podcast there. So Iowa has not been ranked in the top five and beaten a ranked opponent in 37 years. Pretty incredible. Uh, by the way, UNC and Duke lost on the same day. I'm loaded with the Nuggets. Loaded with the Nuggets. This I saw this on SVP Sports Center last night. Duke and UNC last lost on the same day to non-conference opponents in 1989. History, left and right here. Iowa, great job. I wrote about it for CBSSports.com. You can read it on the on the app if you'd like or on .com. Uh, fire up the old lapper. To me, the way that Iowa won was highly impressive and highly encouraging because Luca Garza, yes, he had 16, 14, and 4 blocks. But the 16 points was the fewest amount he had had in a game since you know when, Parrish? Fewest amounts he had had in a game since last season, for sure. Well, the last season, but not just last season, but since they played a Pinnacle Bank. Oh, Pinnacle it, Bank! It's tough. It's January tough. 7th. It's a different deal at Pinnacle you Bank. You don't just trying. walk into Pinnacle Bank Arena, okay? No, no nobody does. Uh, everyone knows that. So anyway, Garza, he did have a good game. He didn't have a great game, but from a points perspective, yeah, it was his least... Uh, least productive game in about 20 tilts for for the Hawkeyes and they still are able to win they win by 13 Carolina makes a run they take the lead Iowa responds with a 14 to nothing blitzing on the Tar Heels and Garza doesn't even score a point in that in that whole run so these are highly encouraging things uh, Iowa hit 17 threes and they took 40 that's 43 percent McCaffrey's going to take that every single time Fran that is uh, CJ Frederick and Joe Wieskamp both hit five and then Jordan Bohannon was the best player on the floor from start to finish he had seven threes finished with 24 points good stuff there uh, I'm 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 incur- again I'm encouraged by Iowa because I do think that Iowa had and still might still have just a few healthy skeptics because of the defense but if you looked at how they played and how they responded against a Carolina team that I think is still suspect. I mean, you know, you mentioned you still have Duke one spot ahead of Carolina, right? So if that's the case, the case I would make in your favor, GP, is that Carolina's best win is by four points in Asheville to a Stanford team that flew across the country, and it was against Jared Haas, who Roy Williams coached in college and had on his... Like, there were advantages there for Roy Williams. Otherwise, you know, UNC lost to Texas, lost by 13 to Iowa. So there's still, you know, it beat a UNLV team that's terrible, Charleston's not that good. So um, so if you're Iowa, there's still more to prove. And the Gonzaga game on December 19th, if they can play it, that's going to be, uh, I think that's a true judgment moment. But this was big win, good win, encouraging win for that program. To me, last night was way, way more about Iowa. Can you get this done on a big stage? And it did. And they did, again, with a subpar performance from their National Player of the Year candidate. I absolutely love that they've got the most dominant big man in the country, and they've just surrounded him with shooters. I mean, you got three other players in your starting lineup who make at least five threes against a you know a, a projected top twenty five team. I mean, that's a strong offensive performance. Clearly, I I think clearly they're not going to make seventeen of forty. I mean, maybe they will. I, I would assume they're not going to make seventeen of forty most nights out, but they are shooting above forty percent from three on the season as a team. And when if if you how about this? I'll keep it simple. If you tell me Iowa is going to shoot above forty percent from three while taking somewhere between thirty five and forty threes per game, yes, the defense has question marks. But like it's hard it's hard to beat a team if they're going to shoot that volume and make at that rate. And again, it's coming from different places. It's not just one guy got high. They got legitimate 
high level shooters, multiple on the court with Luca Garza at all times, just makes them hard to deal with. It, last season, uh, the offense wasn't this good, um, and and the defense was was bad. Ninety seventh in defensive efficiency. For whatever it's worth, they're up to seventy three in defensive efficiency. I had pointed out in the preseason, very hard to be an elite team ranked outside of the top 95 in, in defensive efficiency. But if you get that number inside of the top 70 or 60, you don't have to be great defensively if you're this great offensively. You have to be respectable defensively. And there were times like they gave up, right? You know, they would open up a big league, give up a run to Carolina, but they got so many weapons on that offensive end that they're just tough to deal with. They, they, they look the part. That was a big game for them because, yeah, they're in everybody's preseason top 10, but people still question, can they actually do it? Um, it's very early, but they, they look the part. Impressive performance from Iowa. You could argue um, the most impressive performance of the night right there with what Illinois did at Duke. One other high-profile game from Tuesday night I want to touch on, Kansas beat Creighton inside Allen Fieldhouse. Weird start time. Started at 4 o'clock Central. Um, you know, so I, I, I was doing a radio show, so, but I had it on. Um, Kansas wins it 73-72. It's a matchup of two top-10 teams. Jalen Wilson made a three-pointer, 42 seconds remaining, put him up by three, and then Marcus Zagorowski missed with like 1.1 left, missed the third mm. of three straight free throws. It would have tied the game. So Kansas escapes, I guess, 73-72. But Jalen Wilson, how about this? We dedicated an episode to each preseason top 10 team, somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes. We did one on Kansas. Did we mention Jalen Wilson? I know I did multiple times. Yeah. Did, did I think I tried to get you to talk about Jalen Wilson and you insisted (laughs) that we focus on David McCormick and Ochai Abachi, which was fine at the time. I I went back to my notes. I did not have Jalen Wilson in my notes. I have extensive notes on every team because I would read everything and, 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 and take notes and prep for the... I didn't have anything on Jalen Wilson. And so last night, I was just curious. I was like okay, did we just miss on Jalen Wilson or did everybody miss on Jalen Wilson? So I was like, okay, Blue Ribbon is widely regarded as like the the the, the Bible, year, the preseason yeah, Bible, yeah. It's, it is terrific. I mean, um, if I'm being completely honest, before we did every one of those top 10 episodes, I went and read the entire pre team preview in Blue Ribbon on that team. So I went to the Kansas preview. I, I revisited it last night. Just like, did I miss something? There's nothing in there about Jalen Wilson. In fact, Bill Self actually, I mean, there is something in there about Jalen Wilson, but it's very small. And and Bill Self actually, the quote attached to Jalen Wilson, it's, here's what Bill Self said. He's the forgotten man. And I'm like, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Bill Self actually described him as the forgotten man, and he is the forgotten man, but not anymore. He's now averaging a team high 16.3 oh. points, team high 9.0 rebounds in 27 minutes per game. Game-winning three against Creighton. For people who don't know the backstory, he was a sub-50 recruit in the class of 2019. So we're not talking about some former McDonald's All-American. Like, you know, if you're ranked 53rd in the country, you're a good prospect, but that's not the same as being ranked third. So he's a sub-50 recruit coming out of high school. In the second game of the season, last season, breaks an ankle, takes a medical red shirt, and now he looks like Kansas is... I don't want to, you know, Marcus Garrett was a preseason All-American. I don't want to just replace him, but I'll just keep it factual. Right now, Jalen Wilson is Kansas's leading scorer and leading rebounder, and he looks terrific. And if suddenly Kansas is getting this kind of production from somebody we literally didn't even discuss in the preseason, well, then that changes what Kansas can be. 
was the reason they beat Creighton. Um, yeah, 23 points, 4-6 from two-point range, 4-6 from three-point range, 10 rebounds. Um, really, really strong performance out of Jalen Wilson. He's de- he's developing into the kind of player Kansas needs if it wants to win the Big 12 and be a top-five team. That This has been – Kansas fans have to be absolutely delighted, and he is – he is the runaway two-week-in leader for breakout player in college basketball. And right. I don't even know who would be a close second at this yeah, point. It's funny you say that. I, I I have to write like 300 words on the top 25 and one every morning like a lead. That's how you get it to show up in those Google searches. Yes. And so I decided to write about Kansas. Why? Because it was an early game and I could just knock it out early. And so I, I – but I so I, by extension, write about Jalen Wilson. And in there, I write – there is no official, as far as I know, comeback player of the year or breakthrough player of the year in college basketball. But if there were, this guy would be the leading candidate for both. It's not even close. You are you are right about that. Um, he, he, I, I'm liking the pieces more and more around him. Like I think Abaji is still going to be like Abaji. I think is going to have games where he is the, he's the MVP of, of KU, and then Garrett is Garrett. Christian Brown even had has some good moments there. Um, but Jalen Wilson's been wonderful. And as long as McCormick can be a little bit better than he's been, like he, Bryce Thompson has. Wilson, in many ways, has filled a role beyond what I thought Bryce Thompson could or would do, but Bryce Thompson even hasn't been as uh, impactful as I thought he would. For Real quick on Creighton. First of all, wonderful directing uh, by whoever did that game, focusing in on Zegarowski's mom as she's just agonized. Uh, I actually appreciate it in real time in that one. it felt like Kansas probably, I know it was only, only quote-unquote 2,500. I don't know why you're letting people into your building. I just, I, again, like, I'm going to take uh, a lifeless Cameron Indoor over, you know, the idea that you're letting 2,500 people in in a, in a raging pandemic. I just don't think that's do, a do, smart. Wait, wait, go watch a tech I know, I know, I know. It looks completely, I mean, it looks almost normal. I know, I know. And that's still not good, but particularly like, you know, the game's indoors. I just, uh, just doesn't sit right with me. Um, But Zagorowski's mother was, was on hand. And so we, we are missing that usually in these kind of games, just like these crowd shots. We actually, you know, it felt normal yet not to get that. And then uh, the agonizing, he just misses the third one, misses the third one. Um, My kids were actually, my kids were just fighting and wrestling and it was just one of those chaotic moments i didn't even see him get fouled i so the next thing i knew i look up and he's at the line i'm like holy crap they can actually send this game to ot they don't they fall short it was the first time since 74 that these teams played each other now creighton was in the valley for most of that but kansas and and nebraska border each other i just can't believe it had been that long and given where what creighton is as a program now and this was also the big 12 big east fox deal or at least I think it was supposed to be Fox and they went to ESPN. I can't remember all the details in terms of all this stuff gets gets put together. But anyway, they're, they played each other because it was a conference-on-conference challenge. Uh, they need to play each other frequently going forward. It only makes sense. Creighton's a power conference program. And uh, the fact that we had gone, you know, 46 years between these teams facing each other. I guess in 74 was in the tournament, too. They didn't even schedule each other. Um, so if you're Kansas, I understand for decades why you wouldn't do that. But uh, hopefully this can change going forward because it, it just makes it just again, it just makes too much sense not to have these teams try and play each other uh, much more frequently going forward for Creighton. Tough loss. Understandable. But uh, but, you know, it, it's it's. You played Kansas to within one, and you had a chance to send it to OT. You're going to take that, and uh, and I will note that GP was bigger on our preseason top 101 list of players on Mahoney. He 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 nominated Mahoney before anyone, um, and Mahoney's looked pretty good uh, to this point in the season. I thought Ballack, Mitch Ballack, would be the better player. Mahoney has been the second best player on Creighton. Nod to GP uh, for all of that. I did want to mention one other before we spin it real quick. I wanted to mention one other result from uh, from Tuesday, but I won't if you have anything else to say about Creighton. Well, just real quick on the 
the end of game sequence, you know, Zagorowski gets fouled and that feels like a disaster. If you're Kansas, like, Oh my God, you just sent a preseason first team all American to the free throw line, three free throws chance to tie. He's a 56% free throw shooter. Now he, he, it's a small sample size this season. He is above 75% um, in each of the previous two seasons, but that's not the worst thing in the world. Like I, I honestly would maybe rather have Zagorowski have to make three straight free throws then give him a clean look at a three. And that's just hard, man. And it's more difficult when Alan Fieldhouse is going bananas, but just difficult in general. Like you play golf. Like even if you just got a hundred bucks with you're playing your buddy, if you've got a five foot putt to, to, to win or, or more accurately, if you have a five foot putt to tie, you miss it, you lose that you feel that. And so I can't imagine what it's like to be standing at a free throw line and in, 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 inside Allen Fieldhouse in that situation. So I was, I know in the moment, if you're a Kansas fan, you're like, what are we doing in that moment? It's actually not the worst thing you could do. Um, real quick off of Tuesday night, just, uh, so listeners are up to date on stuff that happened. First of all, Murray State beat Austin P by 30. I previewed that game as a huge game. That is an amazing sign for Murray State. So great win on that. But the two outcomes that I want to bring up one Penn state rocked Virginia tech by 20. And it was like worse than that. Uh, that was bizarre as hell. Penn state. Good on you. Um, uh, Jim Ferry's the interim coach after Pat, uh, chambers, uh, resigned. And that was, that was just the eye opener to me. Uh, Purdue blew like a 22 point lead and, and lost 50, 54 at Miami and Miami didn't have Chris likes. Yikes. But Rutgers four and Oh, win 79, 69 over Syracuse. I told you I had nuggets. I told you I had nuggets. Roy Williams, Jim Beheim, Mike Krzyzewski have all lost on the same day. It's only the second time ever. I have to credit ESPN Stats and Info because they had this too. The last time this happened was December 3rd, 1988. Three Hall of Famers, all in the ACC. Williams, K, Beheim, they all go down on the same day. Highly unusual, highly unlikely. Shouts to Rutgers. It, the, to me, I was... I. I kind of thought Syracuse might be able to steal that one. Not even the case. Ron Harper Jr., wonderful. 26-point effort, and uh, and Rutgers is off to a 4-0 start. It has a road game scheduled Monday in the league against Maryland. Rutgers has no more non-conference game schedule, so it has finished with a 4-0 record and the biggest win, obviously, being against Syracuse. I did want to mention uh, the Scarlet Knights getting a huge win at Quincy Doobie Pavilion and uh, and re-legitimizing their status if it even needed re-legitimizing as a top 25 team. And one more result, uh, Tennessee was the last ranked team to actually open its season, but it did open its season on Tuesday, beat Colorado 56-47. I was, like, Rick Barnes in advance of that game was asked, like, so are you guys ready to go? And he's like, not really. Like, he said, we, we, we've run up the court. I, I'm sure he was exaggerating. I'm not certain he was exaggerating. He said, we've run up the court three times in the past two weeks, you know, and now we're going to go play Colorado. So we'll see. Um, so Tennessee didn't look sharp, but Tennessee – did you shouldn't have expected Tennessee to look sharp worth noting I, at least I thought this was interesting they went 56 47 so it's a competitive game uh, a lot of the reason people like me have S Tennessee to project to win the SEC is they return some some high-level pieces John Ferguson East Ponds but because they enrolled two five-star freshmen did you notice this in the box score the two five-star freshmen Keon Johnson Jane Springer mm -hmm. barely played I saw that yeah. They came off the bench. Ken Johnson got 13 minutes. Jane Springer played nine. They combined for 10 points and two rebounds in a combined 22 minutes. So um, I, that was just, you don't expect five-star freshmen to 
usually come off the bench. And even if they do play so few minutes, um, I'm sure there's an explanation. I'm not criticizing. I haven't been in the gym. I don't know what's going on, but I, I did think it was, I, I thought it was interesting that the two five-star freshmen came off the bench and, and barely played in what was a season opening victory over Colorado. Uh, no, definitely a notable one. And they finally get one off the, uh, off the pine. And that is good. Um, all right. Wednesday night, as we record this early Wednesday morning, uh, the biggest news is that the best game of the day is off. Michigan state travels to Charlottesville. And then late on Tuesday night, it discovers uh, that Virginia is not going to be able to play this game due to COVID issues within this program. It has not been outright canceled. It's canceled for Wednesday night, but the technical term I think is postponement at this moment. They got to figure out if they can try and squeeze this in. We're getting this with the, with a few different kind of teams. I mean, you know, the ACC big 10 challenge, first of all, the big 10's up six to one. Uh, and it would be seven to nothing if Purdue couldn't, uh, if Purdue had been able to hold on to that huge lead against Miami. Uh, but Michigan, NC State, Michigan State, Virginia, and I'm forgetting one more. They're they're starting to blend in. There was another one that was lost. Um, people are screaming into their phones. Hey, this is Norlander from 25 minutes in the future. The game you can't remember, you idiot, is Wisconsin against Louisville. Do better, be better. But anyway, uh, Michigan State, Virginia being lost is is you know that's. A big opportunity for both, and a parish had a tweet, and you made me smile, buddy. You go, Sam Hauser is Virginia's leading scorer. Joey Hauser is Michigan State's leading scorer. They were supposed to play each other on Wednesday, but now the game has been postponed because of COVID-19. This is how the season will unfold. And there are two ways to <laughs> – there are three ways to look at that tweet. One is the actual way that you intended it to be. You're going to have postponements. The second is that Sam Hauser and Joey Hauser are going to be scheduled to play for every single team on every single game, <laughs> and they're going to lose games. The third is that one team's going to have a leading score, another team's going to have a leading score. They're going to be supposed to play each other, and then the game's going to get postponed. So it, uh, it just made me laugh. Again, it hit me at the right moment. Between that and you not knowing how to put a GIF into a text thread and dropping Ooh. HTML embed codes... I lost it at that. You've given me some joy the past couple of nights. It's uh, that, that whole, is it GIF or JIF? It's GIF. I don't want to hear from the JIF people. That's peanut butter. It's GIF. I, I, I think I read it's JIF. Yeah, well, you know what? I think, uh, I think the originator of the actual term has now said it's both. So oh, okay. uh, user's preference, and I'm a GIF guy. Oh, speak, speaking of both, first off, I hate both. Like, let's figure it out. All right. I don't like I don't like having both as an option. Like, let's figure it out. All right. And I bring that up because of this. The word canceled is typed over and over and over and one over L. again now. One L. It's one L. Thank you. I actually thought you were going to go two L's on me here. No, it's one L. But people use two L's and spell check doesn't catch two L's. And so, I, yeah, because it's allowed because it's technically it's tech, it's technically both. I know it, it's more often used with two L's in Great Britain, but in one L in the United States, but you can get away with two L's in the United States if you want to, which I object to. Like, like let's figure it out. It's either GIF or GIF, and it's either one L or two L's. It, like, I'm tired of this both stuff. Listen, uh, we are all on a tight window here, so I know oh, we're going to let you go. I want to get the, 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 uh, the games coming here, but I will, I will talk... I will go grammar geek on you any podcast, anytime. You mentioned Britain. While we're at it, my my note to everyone, it is forward and backward. It, there are no S's. S's is British English. It is backward. It is forward. It is toward. Okay? That is American English. I'll, I'll go grammar geek on you any day of the week here. So many people think it's backwards. No, it's backwards if you live across the pond. It's backward here in the United States.
Anyway. Just make a decision. That's all I'm saying. All if I'm saying. you if you insist it's got to be two L's and cancel that, I'll I'll play along. No. But like, let's make it just decide. You can't have some people spelling it one way and other people spelling it the other way. It's totally ridiculous. We do what I intended that tweet to mean. Uh, the Hauser tweet is that. Yeah, like, you know, we're going to get excited about matchups and then they're going to be ripped away from us. It happened with Gonzaga Baylor on Saturday. Now it's happening with Virginia, Michigan State on Wednesday night. And it really would have been awesome. You know, uh, so they're obviously brothers. They've never played against each other ever in any sort of official game. Like they played against each other in the driveway, but in, in like in no grassroots game, no high school game, no, you know, 10 year old youth league game. They never played against each other in, in an official game. So that that would have been a cool thing to finally see. And they're like the two leading scorers on top 20 teams. I, I, I did a very quick like Google just to nothing came up. Has that ever happened before? Like two brothers playing against each other, top 20, top 20 teams, and they're the leading scorers on their teams? Like that's, if it's happened, it's rare. But I'm not sure it's happened. I don't, I don't think so. Oh, with the, you were Mr. ESPN Stats. And I, don't this whole podcast. I don't have that nugget. <laughs> you don't have that nugget? You got all these other nuggets? You don't have that one? I tell you what, look that one up for me and, 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 and text me a gif of it later. No, gif. <laughs> Gift, damn it. Um, hey, <laughs> hey, so we're going to lose that game. That's, that's, that's a bummer. Um, Indiana-Florida State becomes the best game of Wednesday night. That's a 7-15 ESPN2 tip. Um, I, I, that, that's super intriguing to me. I want to see, similar to uh, Iowa in the it spot, Indiana isn't as expected to be as good as Iowa this year, but go in, play Florida State. You've got real talent there. Can IU show up and really make a statement? Keep an eye on that. Oklahoma at Xavier is a Fox Sports 1 tip at 8 o'clock. That's intriguing to me. Your two sneaky games of the day, Furman at Cincinnati, 5 o'clock. You're going to have to stream that one on ESPN+. Uh, plus. But Furman's capable of going in and winning that game. Uh, frankly, I didn't even realize until two days ago they had the game. Furman tried to schedule everyone under the sun um, and couldn't get it done. I think Cincinnati was desperate. Furman is capable of winning that game. That is a really, really intriguing one there. And then Boise State plays at BYU on Wednesday night at 9 o'clock. Those are both uh, quality teams that could be a high-scoring affair. And then GP just, you know... Can San Diego State continue its undefeated run? That is Thursday night. There's only one good game on Thursday. San Diego State at Arizona State. Uh, that's a 10 o'clock tip on Fox Sports Run. So those are the ones just to be, again, if you're trying to keep track as you listen to the pod because you haven't looked at the schedule, to me, those are the biggest ones. Terp fans, I hear you. I can already hear our managing editor, Adi. He's a big-time listener. We super appreciate it. Maryland does play at Clemson, 5 o'clock on Wednesday. Those are both top 30 Ken Palm teams, so it actually is a legitimate game to watch out for. It's just not that both teams aren't ranked. I don't. Neither team is ranked so it's not going to flare onto the radar, but both teams are certainly capable of being NCAA tournament quality, so that's another good one that you should keep an eye out for on Wednesday as uh, the ACC is doomed to lose the ACC Big Ten Challenge. After winning it like six, seven years in a row, I feel like the Big Ten's won it the past two or three years, and uh, that's going to be the case again this season because the Big Ten, quite clearly, as Bill has said on the broadcast last night, the Big Ten's the best league in America, and at this point, I don't think any other league has a, has a pretty strong case for number two. We do appreciate you guys listening to the podcast, but... If you actually are trying to keep up with the schedule, it is so much easier to just look at the schedule than it is to listen to the podcast. But I'll, I'll, I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry and Mepetigo, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you, guys. Once again, for listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest, most idiotic pandemic of my entire lifetime. Never seen one like this, Norlanda. Never seen one like this. If you haven't subscribed, Please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcast, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. And either way, we're going to talk to you again on Friday morning. Till then, take care.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.